My name's Brad. It is a pleasure to be with you. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, and, and to remind y'all, in a few weeks, or in two weeks, I won't be here for eight. Okay? Yeah, everyone's clapping because I'm leaving. Yeah. Great, you're gone. Get out of here. You smell. I do. Uh, but uh, the church's policy is if you've been here for seven or six plus years, uh, after that, you are sent on a sabbatical. It's kind of like a don't ask, just go. Um, kind of thing. And so that's what's happening. Uh, but during those eight weeks, there's going to be plenty of good stuff happening. Uh, Pastor Jen and, and Dylan will be running the show. There'll be other Bethany teachers coming in and some people from within our community that will be teaching. It's going to be awesome. Don't miss it. Uh, I'm excited for uh, what I'll hear about when I get back. I won't be watching. I'm not allowed to. Um, but we'll be, we'll be doing a lot of some traveling, a lot of golfing, uh, probably a lot of sleeping. And then my two boys are right back there. We'll probably be doing a lot of wrestling. You're not? Okay. That's Judah. He's five. Uh, he is a ninja. Uh, or so he sees. Uh, so that's happening. Just wanted to give you guys a reminder of, of that. And uh, I look forward to seeing you all back here in August and, and hearing what all God did and, and what happened when we were gone. Okay? Don't destroy the place. Okay. Uh, hey, I also am really bad at remembering some things. How many of you have memory issues? Yes. How many of you uh, guys, we get sent to the store. They try to hand us a list. What do we do? I got it. I got it. Right? When you go to the store and you get every, this is a game that Carrie and I play. Uh, I remember a lot of things actually, but when it comes to grocery lists, it's kind of funny. I'll get back and I'll get everything but diapers. And in our house, we need diapers a lot. Uh, and we need wipes. But I get back from Costco. I bought Costco. It's on my cart. It barely fits in my car. I get back and she's going, okay, this is the fun part. What did you forget? We are forgetful people, aren't we? Whether we admit it or not, whether it's our age or not, we are forgetful. Uh, the old joke, I forget, the memory goes first. I forget what comes next and, and that one, but it's, we are forget things. We put stickers on our car so that we understand things. We write dry, do you guys do that? We write dry erasers on our mirror so we remember to do something. I put a whole bunch of stuff by my key so when I come out, I don't forget to take things. I forget where I put my wallet every time. Time erases a lot of things and it erases our memories the most, even if it's overnight. But God knew this when he made us. He knew this about us. He knew, well, he should. He kind of wrote the blueprint for us. But God knows that we are humans and human beings tend to forget. And so when God's dealing with us humans, he does this thing and, and he knows why, how we're wired, but he does this thing where he forces us to remember. And throughout scriptures, what you'll find is that God will command his people to build something like an altar. He'll say, build an altar there. And the altar is not always used for worship. The altar is a signpost so that you will remember what happened. And so throughout scriptures, there's like 20-something different altars, but all of them are to call the people who built them to remember what happened in that place and what God did in that place. So as we continue our, this, this little short series called Be Thou My Vision, part of having a vision that is based on what God wants you to do is to remember what God has done. 
Because when you remember what God has done, it allows you to move forward in faith, encouragement, and gratitude to what God will do again. Okay? So I'm going to give you all a bit of a warning. Uh, How many introverts are there? Don't raise your hand because you hate it. Okay? Introvert alert. You're going to be doing some talking with some people today. Okay? So you have about maybe seven minutes to prepare yourself. Uh, get jacked up. Those people on the sides, you get to talk to each other or you can be brave and come forward. Glenn, you ain't going to hide on this one. You're going you're gonna to talk to some people. Uh, but we're going to chat. We're going to talk. Okay. Because what I, what I think is important about this is your story is able to encourage somebody else's story. Somebody else's story is able to encourage your story. Today, we're going to look at altars and altars in our lives altars that God has done. I want to look at them for three. There's three altars that we're going to look at today. Sometimes an altar in the scriptures was an encounter with God. Sometimes an altar in the scripture in our lives is a movement of God. And then the last kind of altar we're going to look at today is a covenant or a promise. The first one is an encounter. As you flip through the Old Testament, the Bible is full of the encounters, but there's one that stands out. And it's when this guy Jacob camped the night at what he ended up calling Bethel. Uh, He was on the run. Have any of you know the story of Jacob in the 20s in Genesis? He was on the run. He had stolen his brother's birthright, which is like stealing the inheritance. He took it. He dressed up like his brother, and he took off. He went inside of his father's tent, Isaac, who was blind, and, and, and he put a coat on his skin so that he was hairy like his brother, which makes you wonder how, if he's got a fur coat, and that's how hairy his brother is, that's weird, right? That's that's a lot of hair. And so he, le- he goes in, he steals the birthright, the lion's share of the inheritance. And then Esau, his brother, comes in and says, Father, I'm here to receive my inheritance. And his dad, Isaac, goes, uh, uh-oh. And then Isaac comes out, and we hear this with brothers. My brother said this a lot. Isaac comes out of the tent, and Isaac meant this, or I'm sorry, Esau comes out of the tent of meeting with Isaac, comes out and says, Jacob stole my birthright. I'm going to kill him. And if you look at the way Esau's described in Scripture, it's like, I think he just might. He was a hunter. He was a gatherer. He was big, strong, and hairy. And so Jacob, being the not big, strong, and hairy guy of the family, decides, I'm going to run. And he was probably a faster runner than Esau. And so he takes off running away, which is what Jacob did best. If you look at his story, his, he was literally a weasel. Uh, and, and he would weasel his way in, he would steal something, and then he would go on and run away. So Jacob does what Jacob does best, and he runs away. And that night, he comes to a place in the middle of nowhere, and he decides he needs to sleep. And so he pulls up his big, this big stone, it's the first my pillow. pulls up this big stone, falls asleep on it, and then he has a wacky dream. Here's what it says in Genesis 28, 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth, which its top uh, reaching to heaven. And this is where Led Zeppelin got their song. Some of you who know Led Zeppelin's stairway, please, three of you, thank you. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, And the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north 
to the south. All peoples on the earth will be blessed by you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. You will not leave until I have done what I have promised you. Now put yourself in Jacob's shoes for a minute or sandals. Uh, This is a significant time. Jacob is on the run. His family's trying to kill him. He's alone. He has no place to go. Uh, He doesn't know where he's going. He's in a location the Bible calls a certain place, otherwise known as no place. And the rock is literally the only place where he can find for shelter. And yet he has this dream. And in this dream, he sees God. It's an unexpected place. And he sees the angels going up and down into heaven. And he himself says when he gets there that he didn't know that this place existed. Jacob wakes up the next morning and all of a sudden he has a promise. He has a family. He has a future. He has a possession. He has land. And then God tells him, I'm with you. I will watch over you. I'm not going to leave you. How many of you would love that dream? Yes, I would not want a rock for a pillow, but I would love that dream. And so Jacob wakes up the next morning, and when he awoke from his sleep, this is in verse 16, he thought, surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And then he names the place Bethel. Beth in Hebrew is house. El is short form for Elohim or God, house of God. Years later, uh, like seven chapters years later, he comes through this town again. It's verse uh, Genesis 35. He comes back to this place and God tells him to do something there. He says, as you're there, build an altar because it was here where God met you, Jacob, where I met you, Jacob. So Jacob comes back with his family, everything that God had promised him. He just finished meeting with Esau and he comes back. And in verse six, it says this, Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan, and there he built an altar and called it El Bethel, because it was there where God revealed himself to him and he was when he was fleeing from his brother. God then renews the covenant, the covenant that you see in the beginning, where he says, I'm the, I'm the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac. Their land, their promise is your promise. God renews it to him. And then, he, and, and then for years, uh, the, but Jacob goes on for his life, And he has this renewed covenant, and now he has a place to go along with it. I have one of those places like Bethel. Uh, There was a season in in carrying my marriage in our lives, and we've talked about it a little bit before. It was one of the lowest parts of our lives. I was in a huge depression. Uh, We were in between jobs. One was ending. One was just kind of a temp job. It was not a happy place to be. And so one night, uh, our church was having a prayer meeting and decided we were going to go. I I worked about an hour north of where we went to church. Carrie worked just across the street pretty much. And so we said, we're going to go to church. We're going to go to this prayer meeting. I decided that I needed to work, leave work early or else it would have been probably detrimental. I left work early. I got to the prayer meeting about two hours before it started. And where this church was, there was this... uh, this big park. It was called Newport Bay, Back, Back Bay Park or something like that. And it's this 13-mile loop. It goes around. It's like a natural wetlands. The tide feeds it. It's really awesome. You can paddleboard in it. But there's a running loop and a cycling loop that goes around it. And in it is this wilderness sanctuary. And there's a bench at the, 
at the east, southeast part of it where you can see all the way out into the Pacific Ocean. It's in Newport Beach. And I went and I had a seat in that bench. And on that bench, I told God everything that was wrong with him. Have you ever had that conversation with God? God, here's what's wrong with you right now. You've forgotten me. Uh, you, you said that you had called me, but I haven't seen that lately. Uh, God, this world is crushing on me. I don't even think I want to be here anymore. I've prayed and prayed for four years at this time, and nothing's moved. My job is going to fire me at any moment. There's nothing I can do about that. We're kind of lost. And then I heard this. I see you. Hang on. On that bench, in that back bay, in that place, I had a time where I was in the middle of, uh, there is no way God was here. There's no way God is with me in this season. And yet on that bench, God met me and told me, hang on. I see you. I hear it. I, I can... If I see a picture of that bench, I didn't grab a picture because we didn't have those kind of phones, but I, if I were to see that bench, yeah, that is the bench where things started to change for me. That was me, Brad, in my Bethel. God met me in a place where I wasn't sure what was going to happen. That night we went to the prayer meeting and we went forward for prayer because we couldn't help but go forward for prayer. And that night we were prayed for by someone, and I don't even know who they are. I looked for them. I even worked at the church a little bit later. I couldn't find who this person was. And that night, they prayed for Carrie and I and basically opened up our mailboxes and, and read our mail, so to speak. They knew a lot of things about us that we had no idea. God said, hang on. And then he started us on our journey, and we'll get more to that later. But that bench is my Bethel. And what I want you to do, what I would like you to do, is I would love you to take a minute and think through your life if you have any of those places. Do you have a Bethel? Do you have a place where you look around and go, wow, God was here and I didn't even realize it. God met me specifically in this place. And then, once you figure out that you have, or even if you don't have one of these, I'd like you to turn around see some new faces, and maybe share a little bit about that place for you. I shared you mine. Now you get to share with some others yours. I'll call you back in a few minutes. You can stay spaced out. You, uh, we're going to put on some music so you don't have to like think everyone's listening to you. Uh, but you can stay spaced out. You can still talk. Uh, but I'd love you to do that. So let's take a few minutes. Here's the question. Where's your Bethel? What what is the place in your life where you know for sure God met you? Now, here's the deal. Don't be discouraged if you can't think of a place. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to other people. Because if they have a place, you will too sometime. Okay? Ready? Introvert alert. I gave you plenty of warnings. You've psyched yourself up. You're ready to go. Now it's your turn to talk to your neighbors. Don't move the chairs too far. You're going to talk again. Oh, introverts. Ah! We're going to talk again, so don't, don't get too, uh, don't rearrange too much. I left, I sat down on that bench with anger, fear, resentment, frustration. I left that bench with peace, confidence, and hope.
I had an encounter with God. The other places that we see altars in, in scriptures is places where God had moved. Later in scripture, as you get with the story of Israel and its progression, you know they go into, into Egypt for 400 and some odd years. If you haven't heard me talk about Exodus, you are new here. That always happens. Uh, but then they come out of Egypt, the Exodus, so now you've heard me. They come out of Egypt. They spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness, in the desert. Moses, after some time, dies. After Moses dies, the book of Joshua kicks on uh, with, uh, with the rise of Joshua taking leadership. Joshua has been there all along. We know the story in Numbers about the, the 12 men that went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. I mean, you know the, the, the song? Okay, we're going to learn that one next week. You know it. Come next week. You can help me lead it. Uh, they sent 12 men to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad. Two were good. One of those two, uh, one was named Caleb. The other one was named Joshua. Joshua ended up becoming the leader of Israel. Uh, he, God visits his tent, and, and God says to Joshua in Joshua 1, Hey, Moses is dead. You're in charge. And Joshua goes, Oh, what? And then over and over again in Joshua 1 is when we see God saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, I'm with you, I'm with you. Joshua takes the people from wandering in the desert to crossing into the promised land. That land that was promised to Jacob, it's not just a catchy name, that was the promised land that they belonged to. That was promised to them. So they come to this part of, of their journey. They're going to enter the land, but they're stuck on the banks of a river. Not just any river, it's the Jordan River, and it's at flood stage. So it's not a creek. It's huge. Think the Columbia River, how wide it could be. And they have to cross that river to get to the other side to take hold of God's promise. None of the people on the banks of the Jordan River, except for Joshua and Caleb, were alive on the banks of the Red Sea. So this is a new thing for them. They've heard about the promised land. They've heard that God moves, that God inter intervenes in people's lives. They've heard about it, but they've never experienced it. So here's the questions that I think they're going to. How are we going to get through the river? It's huge. It's flood stage. If, it, if we wait, it's going to be like August before we can get across. How are we going to do this? And so Joshua gets a word from the Lord and he says, you're going to cross this river in Joshua 3. And Joshua, at faith, takes it and says to his officials, his officers, go through the camp and tell everyone to get ready because we are going to cross the river. And here's how it's going to happen. The priests are going to cross first. And all the pastors went, ugh, okay. Hope you could swim. They're going to carry the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant is where God, God said, this is going to represent my presence. The Levites, the priests, are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant into the water. And as soon as the person in back get ankle deep, which means the person in the front is probably waist deep, as soon as their ankles are covered, God is going to stop the river. They're telling all the people this. And the people who have never seen God move in this way are going, yeah, right. Have you seen that river? Well, this is what happened in Joshua 3.10. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord will go ahead of you into the Jordan River uh, ahead of you. Verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead, ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage. All during harvest, 
Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan River, their feet touched the water's edge, the water, uh, the water upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam, which I wonder if you were in Adam that day and you're like, what on earth is going on? Okay, in the vicinity of Zurithan. While the water was flowing down, to, so the water kept going, and in this the water was completely cut off, and the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while Israel passed until the whole nation completed crossing on dry ground. Now imagine this. You had never seen anything like this in your life. You've heard stories the entire nation, we're talking more than a hundred, right? Probably around a million, a few hundred thousand at least, crossing, not in muddy water, on dry ground. Watch what happens next in Joshua 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go before the ark of the Lord. So the priests are still there holding the ark. They've got some shoulder muscles. They're holding it. Go down to the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you in the, for in the future when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial for the people of for the people of Israel forever. I love that phrase, to serve a sign among you. Right there on the Jordan River, a pile of rocks, essentially. Piled up high. That way for this, this is how I think. Say you're walking with your child, your grandchild, your neighbor's kid, whoever you're walking with. You know what God did in that place. You inhabited the land. You know what happened. And so you're walking and this person with you doesn't. And they go, that's a weird pile of rocks. Why are there just 12 of them? That seems like a random number. And you can go, yeah, here's what that means. Let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you how God stepped in and stopped this river and we walked across on dry land. In my Bible, I carry this bulletin. It is from March 2nd, 2014. It is seven years old. This was the Sunday that I was introduced at Bethany. There's my name. They spelled it right. It's a welcome. We were hired to come be a, uh, to launch a location. We had no idea that we were ever going to be here. We felt like we were wandering in the desert for the longest time. And so we were brought in in 2014. We, I was a teaching pastor at Green Lake for a while. We didn't know that the Ballard campus was ever going to be a thing. March 2nd was a big day for us. Some of you were at Green Lake that day. Some of you weren't. Uh, some of you were like, where's Green Lake? That's fair. Uh, you see, we had known that God was sending our lives in a direction. We didn't know what direction that would be. We didn't know it was going to be the Pacific Northwest. I, I, I like to surf and I like to be out in the sun and this is the opposite of that. And we didn't know that this was going to be it. This was our Jordan River moment. At this time, in, in, uh, I got a new Bible and a lot of things fell out of the other Bible, including the book of James. Uh, it's, but in, the, in my other Bible is a receipt 
and the receipt has gone blank. Uh, the receipt was from In-N-Out, the most glorious hamburger you will ever taste. Uh, it was from In-N-Out the last night at our previous church. And it would sit next to the bulletin the first Sunday in this next church. That's a Jordan River moment for us. Uh, my son will ask, what is this about? And I'll say, well, this, this is a marker for our lives at a time where God moved in a very unexpected way. In your groups of your new friends, and if you don't like your new friends, you can find other ones. It's fine. You can serve that. Might be a little awkward. <laughs> I dare you. Uh, do you have someone in your group have a Jordan River moment? God moved. I know people in our community that aren't here yet that can say, God moved, and I don't have cancer anymore. God moved and healed me miraculously. God saved a marriage. God saved a relationship. God brought me to this place. God saved my life. In your group, take a moment. Share a place that God has moved. For that to happen, you need to move first. Ready? So I carry this reminder in my Bible. This is one of, of many things that remind me of ways that God has moved. And here's, here's the best part of it. When I'm in a place where I don't think God will ever move again, I look at this. It's in my Bible. That makes me go to my Bible a lot. And I say, God will move again. In my office, also hanging on the wall, is the birth tags for Judah and Caleb. God will move again. He gave us those boys. I pray for them. God will move in their lives. God moves. And it's important for us to put things in our lives that remind us of God's movement. It's important for us to tell the story. Because if we don't tell the story, we're going to forget. And then when we forget, we lose hope. We don't think God will ever move again. But if I remind myself that God moved then, he can also move now. God has encounters. He wants to encounter us. He wants to move through us. There's other altars in Scripture, and those mark a promise. In Genesis chapter 8, uh, Noah and the flood, this is the very first altar that we see that was built. There was something that happened in Genesis 3 when God made the sacrifice there, but this is the first altar where it says Noah built an altar. And why did he build an altar? Because he just come off of a boat where he was trapped with his family, for a long time and they couldn't get off. It's like a cruise and there's no amenities. It's him and a bunch of stinky animals and then the animals that came in two by two. And so the, he was stuck. Thank you for getting that subtle play on words. But he was stuck in the altar, in the ark. So he gets off. They land on Mount Ariat. And what does Noah do? He builds an altar and there God makes a promise. Uh, a covenant with Noah. And he says, I'm never going to destroy the earth again using water. There's a promise. That altar signified a promise. So when Noah's out walking around with his kids and now the family wants to talk again, I wonder how long they had. It's like, hey, we're just going to give you some space. Uh, I, I, wonder how, I wonder when he's walking there saying, God promised me at that place, at that time, he was never going to do this Again, the sign of the covenant was then the rainbow. Another, another promise that was made came in Genesis chapter 12. God made a covenant, a promise with Abraham. 
He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you, who's, you're around 70 and you don't have any kids right now, I'm going to make you a great nation. Just watch. And Abraham's like, yeah, okay. And so he makes a promise to Abraham. And on the altar in that promise, he says, through this family that comes from you, you are going to bless the entire world. And through Abraham's family, we sang the song last week, many sons and daughters, many sons and daughters, his father Abraham, I'm one of them, so are you. The line of Jesus comes. Through the line of Jesus, the entire world is blessed. We have a sign of a promise too. The sign of the cross is a promise to us. And Jesus speaks from the cross. And that cross means so much. But one of the things that it means for us is that you and I will never be alone in the midst of our trials and hard times. On the cross, Jesus makes several statements. And one of the most famous ones is in Mark 15, 34. It was around three in the afternoon and Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now we can look at this, this verse and think, oh, God turned his back on Jesus and, and God abandoned Jesus in his biggest time of need and that's messed up. We can look at that and we can draw that conclusion, but that's not the conclusion that is to be drawn from that passage. Jesus is quoting something in that place. He's quoting Psalm 22, which begins with that same line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the way that they would learn and the way that they would teach in that time is they would quote just a phrase from the scripture and you were expected to know what that meant. And so if I were to say, Jose, can you see? You would go, that's the, that's the national anthem. Or if I were to say, to be or not to be, you would go, oh, now we're talking Shakespeare. And that's as much Shakespeare as you'll ever hear from me. If I were to say a long time ago in a galaxy far away, we'd all think, yeah, Hunger Games. <laughs> right? No? Okay. But we all know what those mean. We all know what they're going. That's the same thing that Jesus is doing. He's using the first line of the psalm, which isn't just the first line of the psalm. He's evoking their memory to remember what the rest of the psalm says. The rest of the psalm gives a picture of Jesus' life, how he was despised and how people came against him. But then towards the end of the psalm, it says this in verse 19, but you, Lord... Do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly. Help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the oxen. Verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nation. Do you see the story that Jesus is telling? He's not saying God abandoned you in the middle of your pain. No, 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 no. He's saying God is going to use this pain as a story to tell the rest of the world just how strong and mighty this God is. Jesus is saying for this story that started way back with David in Psalm 22, is going to be an example of the dominion that belongs to the Lord. Jesus isn't being abandoned. Jesus is saying, this is a promise. He's never going to leave. And though it looks like I'm being eaten by the dogs and going with the horns of the lions or whatever it was, he's not leaving me. Jesus is fulfilling those prophecies that point towards him. The cross is a promise for us. God will never leave you in your time of distress. 
The cross promises us that we have forgiveness from all those past mistakes that keep us down. We have forgiveness. Those stories don't define you. So stop defining yourself by the stories. The cross erases those. That's the promise. The cross cross tells you and I that we're worth dying for. The cross says that you and I, it's a promise that we can have a relationship with God. Paul says that we were enemies and we've been reconciled to be face to face with God as friends. The cross is a promise that you and I have a high priest that knows exactly our pains. And it's a promise that Satan, 1 John says this, that Satan and all the forms of evil have met their demise and their eventual doom. The cross is a reminder of the immense love that Jesus has for each and every one of you. And it's not going anywhere. This is why Jesus, before he went to the cross, had a supper, the last one, with his disciples. And in there, he said this, this is the new sign of the covenant, my promise to you. As often as you drink this and eat that, remember, why? Because we forget. Remember the promise that I'm making you right now. Remember the covenant. We are commanded to remember because we are prone to forget. And we rem- when we remember the promise, we're drawn to three conclusions. We're grateful. God, thank you for moving. Thank you. Thank you for showing up for me at the back bay in Newport Beach for uh, that Sunday morning on March 2nd here at Bethany. Thank you for showing up then. It's encouraging, right? Because he met me in those places, in those two places. He's going to meet me in the next place. And then we look at it, and when we're encouraged and we're grateful, what do we have then? The outcome of that is faith. Yeah, I don't know how this is all going to end up, but if God did it once, he could do it again. I have faith in it. He's proven himself. I have faith. Now, here's here's the hard part with, with awkward mornings like this, right? You talk to some people you don't know, which is weird. We haven't done that in, in 14 months. But you heard some stories today. Many of you, maybe some of you, are looking there going, I don't have any stories of this. Here's what you get to do. If God worked in Sandy and and Roger's life, he could work in yours. If God worked in Madeline's life, he can work in yours. I read Tom's life uh, story online. He can work in your life. Mamie as well. If God's worked in their lives, He can work in you. So when you hear that and go, I don't have a time where God met me. You probably do. You just don't, you can't recognize it. And don't worry, he's going to meet you again. Be encouraged by these stories of your fellow believers, your friends, your community here, that God moves in ways that you never even expect. Have faith in the middle of your circumstance to know that he's going to meet you again. Now, we're not going to talk to your friends anymore. I think everyone's got a sigh of relief for that. Maybe, maybe when I come back, we'll do it again. Uh, but today, communion's available. It's a way of remembering. Remember the promise. 
And we take that communion in faith, knowing that God met us here on the cross. He's going to meet us again in our life because three days after the cross, Jesus rose and said, that promise, I'm sealing it with my blood and also with my life. And so now I'd love us to take a time of just silence. Maybe some of us need to ask God, God, I need you to break through today. I need you, I need you to, I need you here. I need to see you move. I need to see you, I need to hear your voice. I've heard these awesome stories and I feel left out. I, I need you to break through. So maybe that time, this time of silence is you just pouring your heart out to God, God, I need you. I need to see this. And then in faith, knowing what God is capable of, in faith you go and say, God, you gave me this promise that's sealed with your blood that you'll never leave me in this place of uncertainty. That though the world around me is ambiguous, you are not. And you stand on the promise that God is going to be with you through all of this. So let's take a time, a few minutes, let's pray. And just like last week, if you have something that, a phrase that hits you or you feel that God is speaking to you, oh man, lean into that. The Spirit moves, the Spirit talks, and we need to be listening to that. And then when you're ready, take some, have some communion. It's all over there. It's gluten-free. It's single-serving. It's like a communable. It's wonderful. Uh, but let's pray. Father, we thank you. And Lord, I pray for those in this place today or those watching online that are desperate for you to move. They hear these stories of uh, Jacob meeting you at Bethel and, and Joshua at the Jordan River and, and Noah and Abraham and then Jesus and then the dozens of others in scripture where you moved and they remembered. Lord, bring them that story for their life. Lord, interject in a way that is undeniably your motion and they can stand on that and say, this is when God moved. Lord, give them signs and tangible reminders of your faithfulness. I'm just going to give some silence for you to pray, for you to ask God for that. And as Dylan plays, if, if you would like someone to pray for you, we'd love to pray for you. I'll be down to the right of the stage. Come bug me. And if there's more than one of you, uh, we have people around here that would love to pray for you as well. And as you're ready, communion is ready for you as well. God, would you meet us here?